0: Well, this morning, as was articulated in the announcements, we start a new series, a four-week series that we've entitled Lost. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, which some have called the gospel in the gospel. And the reason why is Jesus tells three stories that will take four weeks to teach through, but three stories about his immeasurable love for us, his people, and how he has gone to great lengths to find that which was lost and to bring us back into his folds. We're going to learn of his perseverance and his resilience and seeking after us and, and finding us when we are gone and we have gone far away from him. And this series is going to teach us not only the great gifts that Jesus had not only here on on earth but the great love and compassion he has now as he rules and reigns from heaven over his people and now the calling that he has for us his people to go and be those rescuers to be those ambassadors who go as he did to seek and to save the lost through the gospel of Jesus Christ Now the central theme that you've heard over and over again is lost things being found. We're going to learn about a lost sheep that is found by a shepherd. We're going to learn about a lost piece of silver that is found by a woman. We're going to learn about a lost son who is going to be embraced by a loving father. And then we're going to learn about a lost sibling who is going to be embraced by that same father even though he never wandered far from home. Lost things being found now we've all been in a part of the human existence is this idea of us losing things if we've uh, been on this earth for any amount of time, you have at some point lost something. Lost something of value to you. We've lost keys to our cars, right? We've lost our wallets. We've lost our cell phones. I, I'm really excited now on my phone. There's an app that I can find my phone. It's, it's an app that said, where's my phone? That's a perfect app for an absent-minded person like myself. But we lose other things. I was recently on a a community Facebook page where a town fair is going on in our community and a woman had lost her wedding ring that went back three generations at the fair. We lose things. We lose things of great value, of great substance to us. And and, and no matter what we lose, the same process goes through. The realization that we've lost something, the fear and trepidation that it will never be found again, and then the all-out search by us and others to try to find it. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Finding lost things, but as important as a ring is, as important as a wallet is or a cell phone may be to us, there's something of grander uh, importance than those things that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is about to tell us that you and I are lost. We've been lost for some time. In fact, one of the earliest words that are shared in the Garden of Eden after the fall is the question that God asks as He's searching for Adam when He says, Adam, where are you? Now, Adam knew where he was at. He was in the same place that he was when he was created, in the Garden of Eden. God knew where Adam was. God was an omnipotent and omniscient God. He knows all things and is all powerful. He knew where Adam was at. But the question was, is Adam was lost spiritually. And the Bible says over and over again, we too are lost spiritually. We are in the dark. The Bible says we're so lost that in fact we are dead in our trespasses and sin. All of humanity is. Now, we do a really, really good job like most of your husbands do at faking that you're not lost, right? Oh, I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly where I need to head. But sadly, we as people, all men, women, and children alike, are lost. And because we are lost, we are without hope if we try to do this on our own. But Luke 15 is going to tell three stories that amidst us being lost, there is one who is searching on our behalf. There is one who will not grow tired, who will not grow weary until he finds us. And within these three stories, we are going to be given three illustrations of one who goes on an all-out search and is victorious in finding what they were looking for. We are a lost people and we have someone, and praise be his name, that's out looking for us. Now, These stories are going to happen in a time and situation in Jesus' life and ministry that are going to be a bit surprising to us. You see, when, when I think of these three stories, I learned these three stories as a little kid in Sunday school class. Primarily the first and third story the most, the lost sheep and the story of the prodigal son. And and in my little children's Bible, I remember that uh, the way they illustrated it, Jesus is speaking, and he's sitting under a tree in this beautifully uh, sunshined and sun-filled day, and he's preaching to these nice, happy people. But I want you to know that is entirely wrong. That is not how the story goes because what Jesus is dealing with is a very tense situation. And so if we want to understand these stories that we're going to celebrate and, and learn from and grow from over these next four weeks, we need to, uh, first of all, remember the situation that Jesus is dealing with. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They always grumbled, Right? saying, this man Jesus receives sinners and he eats with them. Now let's stop there. So what we've got going on, Jesus is doing his ministry, and as Jesus has been doing this ministry in Palestine in the first century... There has been a cause and effect. Jesus does something. He teaches. He preaches. He, he heals. He exercises people from demons. He, he uh, addresses people's issues and, and concerns. And what do people do? They want more of Jesus. And so this phrase literally drawing near to Jesus is they are squishing Jesus. They're there every moment at every time. And we see Jesus over and over again at times having to go and be with the Father, retreating away from this crowd that was pressing in upon him. And the reason why was Jesus was unlike anyone that the first century had ever experienced. He taught with authority and yet with humility. He taught about justice, but he also spoke with love and grace and mercy and compassion. He had all the knowledge that the greatest of the Pharisees had, and yet he brought it down to simple, very tangible, and easy to grasp truths. The signs and wonders even his greatest critic could not deny. There was something about Jesus. This was the phenom of Palestine, and people drew near to him. Now, there's two groups of people that draw near to him. Let's look at the two facets of the first group, and then we'll look at the two facets of the second group. The first group involved the tax collectors and sinners. Let's talk about each of these. What Luke is articulating, quite frankly, is is there were white-collar sinners and there were blue-collar sinners. Okay? Or maybe even no-collar sinners, right? The white-collar sinners were the tax collectors. Now right away we think tax collectors in our Western thinking, in our American thinking, we think IRS agents, right? That is a great um, uh, wrong against IRS agents because when we talk about tax collectors in the first century, these were not good people. Tax collectors were Jewish individuals who had been hired by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from the Jewish people. So put this in mind, uh, this is a Jewish individual who has gone to the enemy, is being employed by the enemy, and their number one job is to get taxes, to levy money from their neighbors, their friends, their family, and give it to the enemy. Okay, But what would make tax collectors even uh, greater um, people of disrepute was that they were prone to extortion. They were prone to squeezing those closest to them in their community, not only so that they could give it to the enemy, but the only way they could make money is to get a little from them off the top. And so they would squeeze their family and friends and keep some of the money for themselves. And and what the Bible says they would steal from them for themselves and then give the taxes to the Roman Empire. We see that in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and Zacchaeus says, I have stolen from people. And it's amazing, the very people that he's encountering, he's engaging with in a social gathering, are the very people he has stolen from and so he says i 'm going to give back not one fold not twofold threefold, but fourfold all that I have stolen from those around me and so, as a result of this type of reputation, tax collectors were hated individuals. Now they were rich, they had all the money and resources they were the white collar sinners of the first century, but they were hated and despised. These tax collectors, these agents of Rome. Had fallen in love with Jesus. But there was a second, uh, part of that first group, and that was sinners. Just generic sinners. These were the individuals who had been banned from the temple. They were unclean. Their lifestyles, their occupation, uh, their, what they did or, or where they lived kept them from being, uh, clean from not just a mosaic standard, but quite frankly in Jesus' day, from the standards that the Pharisees and scribes had established of what made one holy. Yes, it is true, these were the fornicators, these were the adulterers, these were the swindlers, these were all of the individuals that had a name to them. They had a past. They hung around with all the wrong people. And they had fallen in love with Jesus. They were the blue collar or no collar sinners. The ones that quite frankly we might be a little taken aback have had they shown up to church today. They're the people with a past. Now these are the people that flock to Jesus. Now, why would they flock to Jesus? Because Jesus was articulating to these people, as broken as they were, as sinful as they were, as evil as they were, there's grace, Jesus says. There's mercy. There's love. There's acceptance. There's a new opportunity for new life. And like a cool drink of water on a blistering hot day, they came in droves to get as much as they could from Jesus. Now enter a second group of people the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees were the religious muckety-mucks of the first century. They were the important people. They were the people that established the rules and regulations of Jewish life and religious life. They were the ones who told you whether or not you were going to heaven. They were the ones telling you whether or not you were good enough to be a part of their religious club and had you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. These were the religious leaders of the day and they would tell you whether or not you were holy they would tell you whether or not you were worthy or acceptable for the love of god the scribes the scribes were important individuals they too were religious leaders but they were the ones who took upon them the task of of copying meticulously the the canon of scripture of the old testament the law and the prophets and they did all that they could to make sure that that this word did not fall on deaf ears, that it was read and was studied only by those who were worthy of such a task. They were religious leaders who in and of themselves determined whether or not you were loved by God. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is addressing not a group of followers uh, of his that all love him, but what we're going to see is he's got a tense group of people. One group saying we know we're sinners. We know we're broken, but Jesus there's something about you that's drawing us to you And then all the while as they're drawing near to Jesus There's this other group saying no you can't be close to God. No you can't be close to holiness No, you can't have acceptance love and grace and compassion You can't have any of that because that's only for people who have their lives put together And there's this ongoing tension in Luke 15 And Jesus finds himself in the middle of it. Here's Jesus, he has said he's God, he has said he is the Messiah and the Pharisees and the scribes are all angry about it and they're grumbling because how can a holy God, how can a righteous God spend time with tax collectors and prostitutes and fornicators and swindlers? That can't be. If God truly was gonna put on flesh and make his dwelling among us the Pharisees said he would only hang out with us the righteous, the holy, as if they themselves were righteous and holy. And so what's Jesus going to do? How is Jesus going to address this very tense situation? He's going to tell three stories. Classic Jesus. He's going to share three stories. And in these three stories, he is going to address each of the individuals that he needs to. He's going to address those who are broken and flawed and, 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 and swallowed up in their sin. And he's going to share stories that are going to speak to them. But he's also going to share stories that speak to the Pharisees and the scribes, those who said, we are the ones who determine who gets mercy and who doesn't. That's the great thing of these three stories, the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son, is within each of the three stories, we get to find ourselves in this situation. So Jesus takes this one big problem of two uh, factioning groups, and he shares one story at a time, and it addresses everybody involved. But in order for us to be changed by these stories that he shared in Luke 15, we have to ourselves relive the story. And Jesus will say in our text, in fact, in verse 3, he wants us to suppose ourselves into the story. He wants us to put our shepherd's gear on and become one of the shepherds in the story. Because there's a part or there's a place for each of us in the story. Maybe today you're a Pharisee. And maybe today you think you get to determine who's holy and who's sinful. That based on your judgment or your criteria, you're the one who will say who's clean and who's unclean. Jesus has a word for you, Pharisee. Maybe today you come in and you're broken and, and your sin is always before you and the mistakes and the failures of you as an individual both before man and before God is right before your eyes. And you're like, how can a just and righteous God love me? How can he accept me? Well, Jesus wants you, not only does he love you and accept you, but he's been on an all-out search to find you in your wandering. You may be the sheep in the story. You see, the great thing about Jesus' storytelling is he addresses two completely different groups of people with the same gospel and the same challenge. To be loved and accepted by God is to put ourselves into this story and to know uh, in no uncertain terms, not look to the left or the right to what others are thinking or what they're responding to in the story, but as to how we are doing it. So jesus tells the story now i'm not going to spend a lot of time here. It's a simple story We've heard the story even people who aren't well versed in the bible know of this story and here's how the story goes Let's look at it. He shares a parable a simple story with a significant meaning to it. That's what a parable means what man of you? Having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it And when he has found it, that he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost there's the story the application comes in verse seven we'll address that in a moment but the story just a couple of verses long you could read it you could have a kindergartner come up and they could read the story and they could tell you exactly what happens there are four characters in the story we've got the wandering sheep we've got the flock of sheep the 99 we've got the shepherd and then we've got his friends four characters there's not much of a plot the flocks together one wanders off the Shepherd recognizes and sees that the ones wandered off he goes and gets it upon finding it puts it on his shoulders brings it back all the while rejoicing and when he gets home he brings a party together and they rejoice together this is not advanced literature right and yet the meaning and the significance of it is huge So let's understand, first of all, the story. So Jesus right away talks about sheep. Of all the animals, of all the creatures that Jesus could have picked, he chose a sheep and a shepherd. Sheep are dirty, and shepherds are dirty people who work with dirty animals. Shepherds are... People that are low class. This would have been... irritated to no end the Pharisees. The very essence of saying, suppose one of you is a shepherd. I wonder if the Pharisees put their hands across their chest like this and said, never. Mm-mm. I'd never do that. that. That role is beneath me. But Jesus says, listen, I want you all to think about being a shepherd for a moment. And suppose for a moment, Pharisees, you're a shepherd, and they were. They were the religious leaders. They were the under-shepherds that were to serve and and, and to care for the nation of Israel and to be the spiritual leaders that God had called them to be, and they had failed. And the reason why they had failed is they didn't care about their sheep. In the book of Ezekiel, it says that the religious leaders of Ezekiel's day uh, literally uh, cannibalized the sheep for their own good. The very sheep they were to care for, they would slaughter and eat and and use their their skins for their own advancements. And God says in that day, let it never be said of my people, of my leaders. And yet that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. So he says, listen, I want you to put yourselves in the place of the sheep. Or I'm sorry, in the place of the shepherd. but, But the Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray and numerous times in the scripture we are told we are like sheep and and the leaders even of the church we are called under shepherds we are to shepherd the very word pastor poimen in the greek literally is the shepherd of the sheep my job with the elders is to shepherd the sheep the flock of god here at village bible church and so we are known as sheep well Why did Jesus use that phrase? Well, let's understand a little bit about sheep before we move on. Well, first of all, sheep are dumb creatures. Write that down somewhere. They're dumb creatures. Go home and Google sometime dumb things sheep do. You'll find a lot. I found two articles one that took place a couple of years ago in Turkey really caught my eye the other one took place in Iran a countryside of Iran but the turkey one really caught my eye and, and the one in Turkey was a shepherd was watching over a uh, 300 head um, flock of, of sheep and they were along a plateaued area of Turkey and one of the sheep made a decision to walk away from the flock and to literally walk off a cliff. It just walked off the cliff. The shepherd had never seen anything like this. And what transpired after that when interviewing the shepherd absolutely astounded him as to how dumb his flock was. Tony the sheep walks off the cliff. You would think the flock would very quickly say, hey, I don't know what Tony drank last night, but he just went off the cliff and he's dead now so word to the wise stay away from the cliff not so with sheep the shepherd watched more than 240 other sheep follow tony down the same one now i was thinking well after the first handful of sheep you know with their woolly coats and everything maybe the last ones didn't die you know they just fell on the pillow of sheep underneath it (laughs) But the shepherd says this. Turkish shepherd says they all fell to their demise. What were they thinking? They weren't. They're dumb creatures. Notice the second thing that we need to understand: they're directionless. They 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 don't have a sense of direction. Uh, uh, this week uh, on Facebook, just this yesterday on Facebook, I saw a post that uh, someone in our church had learned of a lost dog and look out for this lost dog and all of that. And this morning, I I was going through my feed and can you believe it? After 19 hours of being gone, the dog showed up at the back door. 19 hours. 19 hours being gone. Who knows where? They said they had all kinds of burrs and, and, and all kinds of things in its, its coat of hair and everything. Who knows where the dog went? But dogs, they're smart, Right? Dogs have a good sense of direction. Their, their navigation system brings them back. Have you ever heard of the stories where a family was on a vacation with their dog hundreds of miles away from their home, and the dog ran away only to make its way, its journey back all the way home? Hundreds of miles away. Dogs smart. Sheep, they wander away. And they have no idea where they're at, what they're doing, where they've come from, or where they're going. Shepherds tell us, in fact, there's a great book that you can read, a classic book, by a guy named Philip Keller. It's called The Shepherd's View of the 23rd Psalm. He was a shepherd in Canada for many, many years. and. Reading the twenty third Psalm, he says, Maybe I can bring some insight from a shepherd's perspective. And he says, When sheep wander away, they're in trouble because they have no idea where they're going. They have no idea what they want to do. And then finally, they're defenseless. They're defenseless. Sheep can't bark. Sheep don't have big teeth. In fact, what do we do with sheep? We put our little kids next to sheep in petting zoos and, and we pet the sheep and And if you get freaked out by a sheep when it goes, bah, get help, okay? In fact, sheep are so relaxing and so docile that when we are having trouble sleeping, we tell people to what? Count sheep. I mean, there's nothing more pure and innocent than a wooly little sheep. But this is what Jesus says about us. We are dumb We think we're smart, but we're not We're directionless. We don't know what to do. We don't have a purpose in life We we try to make things purposeful in life, but in and of ourselves really uh, Solomon says it's all chasing after the wind It's really meaningless after it's all said and done and quite frankly, we're defenseless We're defenseless to the trials and tribulations that come our way. We are ill-prepared for what may befall us and Jesus says that this little sheep has left the 99 now nowhere in the text does it tell us why It doesn't tell us why now Matthew chapter 19 verse 12 says the sheep had gone astray so in telling the story the first thing we understand is we've got a sheep that's run away a sheep has run away whether through distraction or disobedience, he's, he's left where he should be to go places he shouldn't. Isn't that true of all of us as well? We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one of us turning our own way. And so the sheep has done what sheep do, and that is they've wandered. That's why you have a shepherd. Shepherd keeps the sheep together. This sheep has found its way wandering off to something it shouldn't. And so then we have the reconnaissance. Make sure you spell that right, reconnaissance. And that's the shepherd. The shepherd recognizes the sheep is gone. The shepherd says, I'm going to leave the 99, in open country, and I'm going to go and I'm going to find the one. Now notice the diligence and the resilience of the shepherd. He will leave the 99 and he will go after. That phrase, go after, is an all-out pursuit And he will not stop until he finds it. He's going to find it. And if that means he has to forego things, comforts, and and things in his life, schedule changes in his life, he will do that to find that lost one. And then there is recovery. He finds it. finds the sheep. Now, within the recovery, listen, there's no rebuke. There are no stern words. There isn't even the chastisement of doing something of discipline, breaking its leg, hurting it, maiming it, doing something so that it will never wander off again. There is nothing what you have upon the recovery is rejoicing that which is lost his heart is filled with great joy I have found what I have been looking for and private rejoicing on the journey home turns into public rejoicing when he brings his neighbors and his friends together to rejoice that that which was lost has now been found. and amidst that rejoicing he has taken on the added burden of carrying the sheep home maybe because it's injured maybe because it's tired Maybe because something is keeping it from being able to make the trek home. The shepherd takes upon all the weight, all the burden, and carries that little sheep home to return it to the flock where it will be cared for and nurtured and protected. Now, let's stop there. That's the story. Simple. And yet there is incredible truth that comes from it. And what's the truth that comes from it? Jesus shares right away. We don't have to sit there and wonder, what's this simple story mean? Jesus tells us right in verse 7. Just so, or just as that is true, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven. We'll address that phrase next week, because we'll see that in next week's passage the joy that is happening in heaven. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner. Wait a minute. You're telling us, Jesus, that the the sheep is now a sinner who repents than over the 99 who remain in the flock, the righteous people who need repentance. Repentance. Jesus says, let me answer you Pharisees as to why I entertain sinners and eat with them. The reason why is they're lost. They need the gospel. And I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to go after the one because the one needs me. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so what we need to recognize is there is this real significant moment that each of us as sinners, those who have wandered far from God, Have a God now who doesn't chastise, who doesn't scream and yell, who doesn't bring us down uh, to doom and gloom, but what he does is he comes running after us, seeking us amidst our wanderings. When he finds us, he puts us on his shoulders, and he carries us home where we will be safe and protected and loved and fed and cared for. That is the story of your salvation message and story that you've lived. You were lost. I was lost. We had wandered away far from God, far from the fold of God. And in our wandering away, we opened ourselves up to all kinds of issues and struggles and tribulations and perils. But here comes our great shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, and he's searching for us, and he will not tire and will not grow weary until he finds us and he scoops us up with his grace, mercy, love, and compassion. And he bears the burden that draws us back to himself. And he brings us back into the fold. That's our story. That's the story of every sinner who is saved by the grace and love of a seeking Savior. And so, whether we want to admit it today or not, this is what Jesus has done and is doing for us. Simple story. And we've relived it. And we put (laughs) ourselves into it. But what's the significance? We need to realize there's some significance to it. There's significance to this first of three stories that Jesus is going to share. The first is, this first story brings up four questions that I want to close with this morning. Number one, we have to ask the question, is your proximity to sinners a problem? And right away when I say that, many of you will say, bad company corrupts good character. That's true. But that's not what Jesus is asking. What Jesus is asking is, is do we have an issue where we wall ourselves off From the unbelieving world around us and in doing so keeping ourselves from the same Rescue mission that Jesus himself lived out and modeled for us. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost And so to find lost people you've got to go where lost people are but church We are really really good at walling ourselves off from the unbelieving world around us We are quick to say, you know what, I'm too busy in my church, I'm too busy doing Christian ministry, I don't have time to engage in my community, I don't have time to engage with the lost people around me. And so as a result, we, like the Pharisees, are staying where the clean people are, where the holy people are, where the people who live like us, dress like us, live like us, live instead of going to the place that needs us the most, people who are broken and lost, who are sheep without a shepherd. And when we do that, we lack the very compassion that God wants us to have as His people. Now, notice in the phrase that these people that were drawing near to Jesus It says that the reason why the Pharisees and scribes grumble was because Jesus receives. That word receives literally means, in our vernacular, gave full access to. He had made time for them. He created relational space for them. And what He did was He made room in His life to not only receive them, But to engage with them, that idea that he eats with them, number one, to eat in a Middle Eastern uh, uh, culture is to show the highest form of value. Number two, it is to give lots of time. A Middle Eastern meal takes hours. It also means you're bringing them into your home or you're bringing them close. And so Jesus has shown us how we are to receive sinners. We're to make space for them in our lives. So that person at your workplace, that neighbor of yours, that that, that person in your school that, that's living that dirty life, that that forbidden life, that wrong way of living, you know that to be true. Your job isn't to wall them off and keep them away from you. Your job is to create relational space there so that they might hear and see lived out in you The salvation message. That they might too recognize and know and hear that there is a holy, righteous, and loving God on an all-out search for them because He has compassion and mercy for them. Is your proximity to sinners a problem? And if we're really honest, most of us would say it is. I'm not interacting with those sinners around me who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God calls us to it. Number question number two, are you willing to go or are you going to grumble? We just heard a testimony uh, about the network of nations. Now, there's a lot of grumbling. Listen, and I'm not going to get into the political nature of it, but can you agree with me? There's a lot of grumbling about people coming and going in our country right now. Who should and who shouldn't. And that's a hotly debated topic, and there's a lot of grumbling on whatever side you're on about that topic, about that subject matter of who should be there. I'm glad Network of Nations isn't grumbling about our problem of immigration or our problem with outsiders. I'm glad they're going to them. So here's this group of individuals, a group of churches, this mission that their job is to say, we could grumble about how different cultures change our culture and how different people need to do this, that, or the other thing to be immersed into our country and our culture. But that's not what they're doing. They're saying these people are lost. And they've made a decision to come to school here in America. And we're going to not grumble about it. We're going to go to them. And we're going to make relational space for them. And we're going to create opportunities of acceptance for them so that they may see God. And what are the yields lost? People are being found. And so we have a choice. Are we just going to grumble about things? Or are we going to go? Can I tell you something that I've learned in my 43 years? When you're not going, you're always grumbling you're always grumbling. I never hear grumbles from people in the church who are actively busy serving and and doing things in the church. It's the spectators. I always go back to this illustration. It's the two old dudes in the Muppet show in the balcony. Everybody else has had a grand old time doing the Muppet show. They're excited about the life change that took place on the stage and the two guys that aren't doing anything are up in the upstairs grumbling. We have a call to not be the Pharisees of this story who grumble about who Jesus is interacting with. Instead, we should be going to the very people that Jesus is calling us to. That's why I love this church. Because this church, it would be really, really easy. Listen, when you got Bible in your middle name, you grumble about a lot of things. But Jesus has helped our church... By His grace and mercy, to see the world with His eyes, not our own. And so I see Robin Sterkel out here, who's gone to the least of these on the east side of Aurora. We could grumble about the troubles we have in Aurora. She hasn't grumbled, she's gone. And now she takes our kids, and, and, and dozens of our kids have gone, and not grumbled about kids in the inner city, but have gone and experienced the love and the compassion of the God of the universe who wants to shower that love and compassion on lost, broken people. We can grumble about them, my friends, or we can go. Jesus wants us to go. Number three, are you rejoicing in God's rescue? The first two points, all about you uh, serving others. Now, I want you to serve yourself for a moment. And what I want you to serve yourself is about remembering... Your salvation story. Remembering how you once were lost and how you were found. Putting yourself in the shoes of that lost sheep. Have you forgotten the feeling of loss that you had? Have you forgotten what it was like to feel isolated and alone? Have you forgotten what it was like to see that shepherd that you were looking for? coming along the horizon and wondering what the response would be. Would there be condemnation and, and all kinds of, of anger shown? And the sense of joy you had when that shepherd came and grabbed you up in his arms, not to beat you, but to love you and care for you? Have you forgotten that? Have you been saved so long that you have forgotten what it means that you were once lost, but now you are found? Have you forgotten what it was like to be blind, to be held captive by the evil one? Have we forgotten that we've been saved so long, the great joy of our salvation, that the God of the universe, instead of leaving us in our sin, went on an all-out rescue mission until he found you? Oh, mercy came running and it has set you and I free. Let us never grow tired. Let us never grow weary in worshiping, praising, and adoring. We sang a song today, My Anthem. My Anthem is all about Jesus who found me when I was lost, who brought me back when I went astray. And my life and my energy and my focus will be and always to this day, from this day will be the worship adoration and service to that awesome God amen so are we rejoicing in our own rescue finally have we repented have we repented and returned to the fold Jesus brings this whole thing to a head and he says listen the joy that the shepherd felt is the joy that, that the angelic hosts will learn next week feel when one sinner repents. And so this begs the question, are you a sinner? And have you repented? Well, the answer to the first question is yes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question is, have you repented? Well, that's a big word, right? That's a word we don't use very often. What does repentance mean? It involves three things. Confession. So in this story, it is the confession of the sheep to say, I ran away. I went astray. I lost. I got lost. And now I recognize that. It's contrition. That is a sorrow. I'm sorry for wandering. I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for not doing as I was called to do. And it's also a confession that now I know you're the good shepherd. Now I know you came after me. You love me and care for me. And it's change. I'm never going to do that again. By your grace and by your mercy, shepherd, I'm never going to wander away again. But I do know this, the great love that you have for me, even if I am prone to wander, you're going to come and find me. And that's the great thing, that our repentance doesn't just take care of one, uh, one of our mess-ups or one of our sins or one of our wanderings, but we are being saved anew each and every time that we wander away in our disobedience or our distraction, even when we've been found over and over again. Have you repented? I don't want you to leave today without knowing that though you are lost, you can be found by the great and glorious Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And the great depths by which He went to save you and to find you was that He went to a cross bearing all the burden and carrying you and I back to the folds. That's the greatness of this story. The story that is used to change us and to remind us of where we've been and now where we are. Because when we repent, it is He who is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It is He who scoops us up with His love and compassion never to be let go again. And that is the great truth of the lost sheep. And my prayer is that we will take it and begin to apply it to our own lives in the days to come.